Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Martha. Hi, uh, everyone. My name is Martha. I'm a compulsive reader and bulimic. Hi, Martha. Um, I wanted to thank Sarah and the program chairs for the honor of speaking tonight. And um, I'm I'm excited. I'm nervous, but it's good nervous because um, it's good because I care a lot because this this meeting and this program means so much to me. So much to me. The Overeaters Anonymous, the program of Overeaters Anonymous, and this meeting specifically, and a lot of the people here, and my sponsor Leslie. Um, I know. I don't just believe, I know that this saved my life and and gave me a life that just keeps getting more and more amazing and I feel incredibly, incredibly fortunate to be here. And I just, in addition, I wanted to um, say happy birthday to my sponsee, Jen. I have such a vivid memory of meeting Jen um, at this meeting in Malibu that doesn't exist anymore over the water and just, she just seemed so lost. I think you'd thrown up the night before if you don't mind my saying so. <laughs> and um, I just remember you started calling me and you, and everything was a mess and you just kept showing up and showing up and you kept you took your commitments and you just kept doing the work and um, I'm so happy to see you celebrate today and, and I love all my sponsees um, Candy and Hannah and, and Jesse I'm so proud of you you're, you're really really doing the work and I'm really proud of you and um, Caitlin and hopefully I'm not forgetting <laughs> um, <laughs> I have the best sponsees I have the best sponsor and I have the best sobriety sisters I love you Lisa <laughs> and Veronica and Veronica and everyone else here, Lucy and um, yeah, I feel our, we have an incredible, um, an incredible recovery family that makes Light a Candle our home group. All of us make Light a Candle our home group. So I hope you'll join us. Um, I will just qualify. I'm extremely qualified to be here, you guys. <laughs> I, um, anybody wants to step up and compare stats? Um, I, as far back as I remember, I've been overeat. Food just as Literally from the age of three, food had a very, very special place for me. Um, I remember things like, I remember like brushing my teeth when I was four with a glass of water and I would pretend that the water was like a milkshake or orange juice or something. Like, and we, I grew up in this super health food family. It was all like lentils and mung beans and God knows what. And so, you know, just like the amount of fantasy life I had around the food I would get at other people's houses or at birthday parties and, and like what it meant to me and, and how it made me feel. Like, you know, I, I, actually somebody, I'm also sober, um, coming up on seven years sober in AA. And I heard somebody say, um, if alcohol does something very special for you, it will eventually do something very bad to you, or something along those lines. And that was food always did something very special for me, and eventually it turned on me. And um, I, my, my, abstinent, my bottom line abstinence is just no throwing off no matter what. I do not stick my head in the toilet. I've had great clean food for long periods of time in my recovery, and I've also had, like, incredibly messy food. I've had I – I didn't do the type of binges I did before I got abstinent, but I still binge sometimes in my recovery. But I've always had sponsored direction to just not change my date um, based on anything except throwing up, and that has stood me in very good stead, and that's how I sponsor all the many bulimics that I sponsor. (laughs) And um, I, let's see, 
the compulsive eating, I think I started like body obsessing maybe when I was, I remember measuring my thighs when I was nine and starting to like memorize the calories that were in everything. I, um, I threw up for the first time when I was 17 um, after studying how to do it in young adult novels. And I threw up for the last time when I was 39. So that is 22 years of vomiting. Um, sometimes terribly, like like constantly, multiple times a day. And sometimes it would kind of go into like remission where I only threw up a few times a year. But it always, and whenever that happened, I'd be like, well, obviously I don't have a problem. And I never really thought of myself as bulimic. And then it would come back and I just thought, oh, it's just kind of a thing I do, you know, because I don't want to be fat. And, uh, but it, 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 it was, it's a progressive disease, and it got worse and worse and worse. And um, I, I obviously, um, I've never been very heavy for a lot of reasons, both partly because I threw up, but um, part of it is just metabolism, I guess. And I, but I gained and lost Hundreds. I, once I started like obsessively calculating to try to figure it out, but I'm sure it was like a thousand pounds or something because I would every year from probably age like 13 to until I came to OA, it would be like up 10, down 5, up 20, down 10, up, you know, like constantly. And I always had like um, a wardrobe that ranged from size zero and two that was like my aspirational clothing to like <laughs> size like eight or ten. And I remember like wearing size ten pants and then getting rid of them. And then I had to go get some other. It was just and I was share this because like my I come from a family of pretty normal eaters and pretty small people. Like my older sister. Um, weighed less than me the day before she gave birth. She's like a yogini, and she gave me all her maternity clothes to wear as regular clothes. And she, she um, just, like, so it's just the way she is. She's not, doesn't have food issues. She's just tiny and a gymnast and a cheerleader and small and a hater. <laughs> but she was, she was, like, it must, she was just always baffled by me. She'd be like, it must be so hard to shop. Like, how do you, you never know what size you're going to be. And, and then she'd be like, oh, your closet looks, this looks like five people's closet, you know. And, um, and it's not like that anymore. And I, um, let's see, just, I'll, I'm going to try to not do too much of what it was like, but I, yeah, I was just, um, I used food. It just, food changed the way I felt about the world, and it was an escape, and it was a soother. And I grew up in a lot of um, crazy chaos. Um, it's, I, I, there's not really a snapshot way to describe my family. Um, we grew up on welfare. My dad's Israeli, uh, Yemenite Israeli, who, like, has P PTSD from the, the war. He fought, he lied about his age to fight in the war to create the state of Israel in 1948, and then he saw his best friend exploded in front of him, and then he kind of checked out of life. And then he um, came to Canada randomly to make some money to clean up some mess in Israel, met my mother, who was a very tightly wound British nurse, and they had no business being together. And within <laughs> four years, they were married and had four kids. And, and then we, like, drifted across Canada and, like, um, like my dad could never help. My dad was sort of a traveling psychic and palm reader slash mystic. And then he, my mother was just like, couldn't, neither of them could work for whatever reason. They're just not good at life. And um, we, like I grew up wearing, you know, hand-me-down clothes, like hand-me-downs of hand-me-downs. And just like having like, where there was a lot of weird secrets in our family and my parents joined a cult and like, Every every each of the kids in our family kind of had their own um, 
like their own lies that they were telling the outside world to explain like why we didn't have any furniture and the electricity didn't work and then and then things would get a little better and then they got worse. It was just crazy. And then there was all that stuff with the lentils and brown rice, which was terrible. <laughs> but you know what? Um, I can tell you that uh, today I love my family so much. Um, Michael's met my family. He loves them too. Like, they're kooky, but they're amazing. And like, as a, as a direct result of working the steps in this program and making amends and coming to terms with my diseases and doing spiritual work I need to do, like, my family relationships are, are one of the best things in my life. I mean, I, I unconditionally, I have, there's nothing to forgive. My parents just are who they are and they did what they could with the tools they had. And I have so many more tools and I'm living a different kind of life. Um, so I, okay, let's see. So I, I always love the parallels. So my dad lied about his age to, to fight to create the state of Israel, you know, coming from like a family that was persecuted in, in Yemen and they walked across Saudi Arabia by donkey or whatever. I lied about my age to get a job in McDonald's and, uh, <laughs> and proceeded to stuff my face. And, uh, <laughs> so like at age 14, I'm like working the late night McDonald's drive through packing 20 nuggets into its six pack for my break and, um, and then going home and eating the mung beans. <laughs> So I think then I, my, my thing was always like the way to escape the family craziness and the insecurity and the fear and all of that. Um, and the other part of my like, you know, the reason I ate to escape and hide and all that was like I was really ugly. I had like, like tented frizzy hair that my dad cut, of course, and then giant, like, Coke bottle glasses and, I, like, two left feet, can't clap to a beat, athletically retarded. There's a, I would tell this story. There's a, a guy that, a kid that was legally blind and had a brace on his leg that would get picked ahead of me for teens. <laughs> and, I mean, that was a good call. I would have done the same thing. So. And, um, I, like, so, you know, I ate and then I, but I, I was obsessed with books and academic success, and that was going to be my ticket out of that life. And it was. And I ended up getting a scholarship to this amazing international boarding school on Vancouver Island. I was, we grew up in Vancouver. And, but that, that school, I mean, it was a phenomenal experience that changed my life. But I, it was unlimited cafeteria food. So in literally in six weeks, I gained, I think, 25 pounds, had stretch marks, couldn't fit in any of my clothes. And then I, I, I had studied bulimia before, but I was like, time to get serious about it. And like, when I apply, when I apply my mind to something, it's gonna happen, guys. So I became like the master bulimic. Like, I was stealthy. I knew how to layer the foods. I knew where every secret bathroom was all over campus. And you know, I lost the weight. And then I just used bulimia mostly as like a maintenance tool. But it, it also, um, you know, it's just like an escape for me. And I. I I did that, you know, on and off for 22 years. And um, what it was like for me then, I um, I just always kept life looking pretty, like, tried to keep things looking pretty normal on the outside. And when things were going well in my life, um, I could maintain. And I ended up getting a scholarship to Yale and doing really well academically there. And when I was there, I probably threw up maybe... You know, honestly, who remembers? Because my, my thing my whole life has always been, A, rules don't apply to me. I'm the exception to every rule. And B, if I don't acknowledge something, it's not really happening. So <laughs> maybe I threw up, like, once or twice a month. Maybe it was a few times a year. I, I don't know. I, have, I remember certain bathrooms at Yale that I used to throw up in. 
but I don't remember how often I did it. And I, I know I wasn't doing, like, massive binging like I did later on. Um, but, like, the next, I'd say, like, to fast forward through a decade, even though I'm sure you'd love to hear all of it, um, um. <laughs> was, like, you know, when things were going really good and when it looked like my dreams were coming true, which was, like, academic success and graduate school and marrying my intellectual boyfriend and all that, then I could sort of, you know, keep things going but when things got really stressful I would my that type of my behavior would get worse and worse and I ended up um, also becoming um, an alcoholic in my um, yeah, I mentioned that I'm, I'm sober so I started like party drinking in my mid to late 20s and then it just progressively got worse and worse and and you know, it was exactly the same thing um, like just using uh, food and alcohol to change the way I felt about the world. And for me, I've always had this, I've been always been unable to like live in the happy middle. It's always like, I want to feel the way you feel when you have like money in the bank and you're flying down the road on a sunny day in a convertible without a care in the world and your heart's on fire and you're madly in love and it's requited. I want to feel like that all the time. And like, I just hate feeling like it's a regular day, but it's like terrible. So like the, the feeling that I would get from like, you know, eating like a delicious gourmet meal to massive excess with two bottles of wine like that gave me that feeling that I wanted to feel all the time but it's just so hard to manage and I just want to say this because I know a lot of people have done this I definitely disguised my compulsive eating and my alcoholism with being a gourmet for many years like I did these like incredibly fancy dinner parties and like you know was a wine collector I didn't really collect because I drank so much. <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I, I subscribed to, like, wine aficionado, and I had, like, I had a lot of fancy things that disguised the way that I ate and drank. I'll just say that. And um, for me, what happened was, um, God, I got to fast forward into recovery really fast. Like, the entire, like, facade and and ridiculousness of the way I was living came crashing down and by the time I was approaching my mid-30s this is the type of thing I was doing to check out of life and to you know I'd had this okay I had this like corporate career and I had I almost had boyfriends and things looked really good but nothing came together the way I wanted it to and the more my life like parted from what my dream vision was the less I was able to live it and and the more I just escape 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 so I would be doing stuff like, um, I'd ruined my finances. I, I had gotten, I love Bill's story because I did, that's exactly what I did with the, the stock market boom of like 99 to 2000. I was like e-trading and I had like what, what looked like a really high net worth to me, picking up tabs, like traveling, cocktail parties, you know, like living, living, uh, spending in thousands and chattering in millions or whatever. And then it all came crashing down and I went bankrupt and I, um, just none of my, none of my little schemes were working out. So uh, this is what it looked like towards the end. I would be like ordering massive amounts of take greasy takeaway food. I'd have all this ice cream, just all this crap, bottles of wine. I would get get drunk. Um, no, yeah, get drunk, then start eating, throw up, pass out, um, drink some more, pass out, throw. You know, just on, I would do that for like three days. Like go on these food and alcohol binges. 
And I ended up down here in Los Angeles. Um, I decided I tried to use a relationship um, and the opportunity to become a wife and mother to save myself and to escape from all the mess I'd created back home. Um, I reconnected with somebody I knew in college, and his wife had been tragically killed by a drunk driver, and he leaving him with a little three-year-old and a, a three-month-old baby. And I, you know... Obviously, I had the tools to save the day, so <laughs> I dragged my, abandoned my mess in Vancouver, moved down here, and started, like, trying to be a super mom, and I was, you guys, I was, it was so insane. I was, like, doing these, like, happy face, healthy meals for the kids, and, like, teaching them all about nutrition, and, and like, then every couple of nights taking off and doing, like, some 5,000-calorie binge and throwing up in a fast food restroom, and, um like hiding my alcoholism and my bulimia from that man, that poor man. And um, I did, then I ended up getting sober in AA, but I was only doing it for that situation, not for me. And I didn't really believe, I didn't have a relationship with God. I vaguely believed in God, but I was so far from surrendered. It was, an, it was just, it was a gesture. And I, six weeks after I moved here, I ended up um, getting diagnosed with uh invasive, a very aggressive invasive breast cancer, and I, um, we had just gotten married, and I had, like, a year that was just crazy, like, <clears throat> had four major surgeries, I ended up having to get a mastectomy and reconstruction, I had, like, five months of insanely harsh chemo, a year and a half on this other drug, and then, um, but that, it was so crazy, because I, I relapsed into drinking, I missed a chemo session, because I was, I was in a blackout, I was drunk. And then I was taking all these anti-nausea drugs and throwing up, and, and binge eating and throwing up. And uh, and I I didn't tell my doctors all of this. I told them selective things. And I and I was so angry that I didn't get thin by having cancer. That was so upsetting. <laughs> and, uh, and then when I was coming out of that, I um, I remember like doing all this oncology nutrition stuff, and I and. Like, you know, I was supposed to get my body fat to a certain level to help prevent um, recurrences, and, and I could do all that, you know, eating the rainbow antioxidant stuff for, like, five days, and then I'd be back at, like, a KFC drive through and getting three pints of haagen or something. It was so insane, and I ended up um, relapsing again in, in AA, crashing that marriage. I ended up in a treatment center. No, first, I tried to commit suicide. I was in a lockdown nut house for 10 or 12 days. Then I went into a rehab for bulimia, alcoholism, depression, and anxiety. And then I finally, finally surrendered, um, finally surrendered in, to AA. And I got sober, and I started doing everything that I was told to do. I had a spiritual experience. I started, you know, doing the steps. And, but I, what happened for me, and I know this happens for so many alcoholics, it's like the more sober I was, the more I had to use food against my, oh, I was still binging and purging. And my AA sponsor um, ended up saying, you know, you're going to lose your sobriety if you don't get sober uh, and if you don't stop throwing up. And she said, um, <coughs> Leslie is in, um, my sponsor is in my same AA home group, and she said, you go talk to Leslie England because she has not thrown up in 26 years or whatever it was, 22 years, and you do whatever she tells you to do or you're going to lose your sobriety. And I did that, and I came to this meeting. This was in spring of 08. And what happened for me is I, I thought it was all kind of lame, and I didn't want to do two programs, And I, but I, I kind of half-measured it a little bit, and I got some immediate relief, and I stopped throwing up, and I lost weight, and then I told Leslie that I was done, and I asked what she thought, <laughs> and she said, she said, well, Martha, I don't think there's such a thing as social vomiting, and I think that <laughs> you're probably going to be throwing up again, and I was like, whatever. 
so <laughs> I, um, you know, I left because um, I've obviously entire years of my life or so I thought I'd been totally fine. So clearly I could be fine again. And exactly as she predicted, within three weeks I was throwing up again. And then I went through six months of like the utter, utter worst living hell that I would not wish on anybody. I was throwing up five, seven times a day. The bathrooms I threw up in were getting filthier. I, I, had, I um, was in an outpatient treatment program and in sober living, and I um, almost got kicked out. I would find myself in a Ralph's parking lot against my own will. I don't remember driving there. I don't know what I was doing, and I couldn't get out, and I could not stop. And um, what happened for me is... Um, I, I did that for like six months. I don't even know how I lived. I don't know how I didn't lose my job. I don't know how I didn't get in a car accident eating while driving. But I had just been at an AA event. Um, it was like a New Year's chili party, which is like, let's not even talk about what that involves for a bulimic. <laughs> I, um, I decided to like turn it all around. And I decided to go to Whole Foods and get something healthy and, like, just have a plan, strategy, plan, strategy, plan. I'm going to do this. And then, of course, I go into Whole Foods and ended up with, like, binge foods, six-pack of devil's food cake, cupcakes or something. And then that was in San Monica. And in that elevator, in that Whole Foods, I saw Michael. And Michael, I saw Michael when he came in really fat. And he had been, like, over 300 pounds. And I'd made some joke about how he would be cute if he lost a lot of weight and then left OA. And then here, fast forward six months later, he is, like, chiseled and beaming. Like, I wanted to feel the way he the way he was smiling. Like, he was shining. And his bag, his grocery bags were full of, like, healthy foods. And he was just chit-chatting with people in the Whole Foods elevator. And I was so ashamed. And he didn't remember me. I remembered him. And it just was like, to me, it was like God punching, slapping me upside the head saying, OA works. Like, why don't you just go back? And the next day, I went back to OA. And then I think I threw up one more time. And then I have not thrown up since then. That was January of 2009. And I was too ashamed to ask Leslie to sponsor me again because I was really embarrassed and I had a lot of pride. So I found one of those loving sponsors who tells you that you're amazing and tells you to write affirmations on your mirror and, <laughs> and like, um, you know, just tells you to, like, be, take a bath and be easy on yourself as opposed to Leslie who will be, like, your self-pity is going to kill you faster than your cancer will kill you. <laughs> and um, actually, that was my old age sponsor who said that. But <laughs> um, and then, you know, obviously that didn't work out so well, so I ended up crawling, not crawling, but I came back to Leslie and she said, of course, she would be happy to help me and you know I had a crazy year where I was like I couldn't drop any AA meetings so I was going to eight or nine meetings a week I had three I had to pick up three OA meetings with three commitments in addition to all my AA commitments um, I said yes to everything in OA I started doing my step work I started like specific prayers around my OA recovery and I just did everything that um, Leslie asked me to do and I did a lot of my attitude was terrible I did a lot of it kicking and screaming like I just I thought it was stupid I thought it was a state worse than death to have to go to two stupid programs I was like I have no personal time meanwhile I just spent like years using all my personal time to like stuff my face at Ralph's and I'm like what about my like you know when am I going to like work out like I work out I mean really (laughs) the original lethargic slog <laughs> and um, I ended up, uh, but you know what, slowly but surely, and I kept wanting to change my date because I was still kind of gross, eating gross and sometimes binging, and she just like had, I just kind of gave in and did whatever she told me to do, and um, 
now I can say, you know, fast forward a number of years later, like, OA is just one of the joys of my life. I've been, you know, I'd say my enthusiasm has gone up and down at different times in the program, but um, I always, always get exactly what I put into the program, always. Like, the more I put into it and the more I practice acceptance and the more I um, open my heart to it and try to say yes to everybody that asks me to sponsor them and um, the more that I do the writing that Leslie asked me to do um, and, and the more I pray and, like, the more relief I get. And, you know, today I can say, like, I've never, that, as soon as I surrendered that bulimia in, in, from the heart and, and turned it over to God, I've never ever, ever once has it occurred to me, the idea of throwing up has never come back to me. And in terms of, like, overeating or eating red light foods and stuff, if that happens to me, I know exactly why. Like, I know what I've, I know what tools I haven't used. I know what's going on. It's not like, like, I never feel like a hostage in a Ralph's parking lot. Like, I, I know exactly what, what, what's happening with my food and why. And I can tell you guys, I have so much freedom around food a lot, a lot of the time. If I'm, like right now, I'm on fire for OA. I'm speaking a lot. I'm sponsoring a lot of women. I love them. I'm so happy to work with them. I just feel tremendous gratitude for my food recovery. And, um, I, um, my food is super, like mostly really, really clean and it doesn't call to me. And, um, I'll just quickly, I want to ask some time for questions, so I just want to tell you guys some of the amazing miracles that have happened for me in my recovery. Um, so that guy that was my Eskimo in that elevator is now the person, the man that I'm going to marry, and um, that that took a while. My sponsor wouldn't let me ask him out. I had to, like, pine for him, <laughs> and then <laughs> he finally asked me out, and there's still, like, some annoying debate over whether he was really asking me out on a date, but whatever. I know it was a date. And, uh, <laughs> and we have so much fun together. And it's, I mean, we have our battles like everybody does, but, like, I love being with somebody who understands the way I eat. Like, you know, it was just so great coming to OA and learning about, like, volume eaters and speed eaters and just all the things I've done my whole life. And to have somebody who totally understands and... Um, you know, he, we're both in both programs, and we just totally support each other, and we we have the tools, and we both have strong sponsors, and we have prayer, and we have we have a God in our house together. Um, you know, sometimes we, you know, I like to verify that he's run things by his sponsor, and <laughs> he keeps running down the left way about certain things. But, I mean, we have a blast, and we, we, like, cycle everywhere, and we do all kinds of We've climbed an incredibly high mountain in Vancouver, and we've met each other. Well, I'm meeting his family this summer. He, lo- he loves my family. Like, we have so much, we have such a great, great life and recovery together, and such a gift of, of OA. And I'm so, so grateful for you and, and for, for the God that brought us together. And um, I made, like, tons of food-related amends. Leslie had me go back to, like, all these whole foods that I kind of, well, what I did was, I objected to the pricing of a lot of their their salad. (laughs) I would get I would get like salad or fruit or whatever and eat about half of it in the store to get it down to an appropriate price level. And uh, (laughs) and Leslie pointed out that if I object to their pricing, I can shop elsewhere. So and there was other places that I used to just eat stuff out of packages and all that kind of stuff. So I probably paid back about seven hundred dollars to a lot of stores, and I. I, it was very humbling and very actually very gratifying to do that because um, when I remember the one that, that stands out for me, this one Ralph, the one Whole Foods that I um, I was giving them two hundred and fifty dollars because I did that I stole there a lot 
in recovery, by the way. And um, when the manager, like, um, he he's got all teary-eyed when I was talking to him, and he told me that he had two nephews in 12-step programs that were always in and out and could not get recovery. And he said, um, thank you for your example. And, and then he said... Um, the store does not need your money. I want you to give it, to take this money and give it to somebody who's hungry or someone who's struggling with an addiction. And so I donated the money to the Midnight Mission. Mm-hmm. And some of the other stores just had me donate the money as well. But that type of stuff, and, like, just the ability to live clean, like, to know that ultimately I mess up, but I ultimately do the right thing, and my heart wants to do the right thing. And, um, yeah, that's that's huge. And to, um, you know, I'm in this uh, career camp. I feel like I want to just be, like, not an angel, but, like, an OA angel in terms of being able to carry the message anywhere. And I'm doing this career counseling group through my alumni association right now. Like, my work is actually going great, but I want to do even – I know I can do more with my life. And um, I'm in this Yale women's group, and we do this career coaching stuff together. (laughs) And I shared – something about being in food and recovery for my eating disorder and so far two girls out of that group have emailed me privately and told me that they really struggle and that that um their food obsession and their their issues are taking up so much of their life and they're they're wondering like what i did so hopefully they'll be coming here too as well and um yeah i just i feel incredibly i'm sure there's like so much more that i'm forgetting but i feel really 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 grateful and um i'm so so grateful to everybody. This meeting means everything to me. Like my my whole recovery has been centered here, and um, and like I can never thank my sponsor enough for her insane amount of patience with me as I've like stepped up and down in my level of commitment. <laughs> and uh, she's really taught me that you just pick up the phone, you just let you just you just share you just share what you've done, and people may or may not be, be willing to take the action, but. Um, I, I wish that, like, that this level of happiness and freedom that I have around food could be for all. I want that for all of you. And um, I'll just share with you very quickly. Just to, last Sunday night, um, I had I could not sleep half the night, and I was really exhausted on Monday, but it was because I was so, this is, like, sounds really retarded, but I was so excited about my life and everything that <laughs> happening that I was, like, it was like Christmas. I just couldn't fall asleep. <laughs> and it's not like that all the time, but I do get that. I Today, I wouldn't trade my life for anybody's, anybody. Like, I lived in envy and regret for so many years, and now I just am, like, this is the only life I want, and I feel so excited about everything that's going to happen. So uh, thank you for letting me share. The question is, um, how do you help a sponsee who's struggling? I try to relate something that I've experienced because I feel like just saying, oh, you should do this, that doesn't help me very much. What helps me is to know that somebody has been there and they've been through it and they got to the other side. So I just think of something parallel that I've been through and then I say what I did and how it got better. And if I can speak with authority that, like, yeah, I felt that way or this happened and it got better. And But I, I do try not to speak from experience that I don't have. Just like my AA sponsor didn't know anything about bulimia and she sent me to Wesley. So if there's something that I don't have... Um, experience with. I try to think of somebody that I know out of the like literally thousand people that we get to know in recovery that I can send my sponsor to that has that experience. 
Um, the question was, in early recovery when my food was messy, are there any tools that particularly helped me? Well, honestly, a lot of the time I was not willing to use those tools. I'm sure all of the tools would have helped me. But I was <laughs> angry and stubborn, and I just felt, like, entitled to eat. I, you know, and I, um, my sponsor just kind of helped me see that I, I, until I would keep doing that until I got sick of picking up that tab. Um, but yeah, like now if I'm starting to struggle with a food, like there's a million tools, like I can, I text commitments before and after eating, like I'm not going to, I'm going to this buffet, I'm not going to eat this, or like I pray before I put a single bite of food in my mouth, or, you know, I write out, I, I email my food every day, that helps, because I have a disease of denial where like I could wipe out entire sets of terrible actions that I've taken and pretend they never happened, <laughs> so it really helps me to have my food written out. Like, oh, yeah, this is actually what I ate. And if I forget something, I'll be like, actually, there were some cookies. And, like, just email that as an addendum. So um, I can talk to you more about it afterwards. But, I mean, there's so many tools. It's, it's really how willing am I to use the tools that I have. Yeah. My spiritual practice is um, I wake up. Um, my, I, I have, like, about 15-minute spiritual routine in the morning, which is I read two or three daily readers. Um, I write a gratitude list in my journal, and I pray on my knees. And usually, sometimes it's a third step prayer. Sometimes it's like a string of like, oh yeah, and how about this God? And like, uh, it's just like a brain dump to God. And, but it's really like it's refocusing myself on gratitude. And um, and if the, the if something in the spiritual reader really touches me, I like write something about it in my journal. And and then I try to pray throughout the day. I have an office now with a door that closes, so I get on my knees and pray in my office when I get stuck. And I just try to keep that connection going throughout the day. So thank you for letting me share.